Hey everyone, it's me, TV. Just reminding you, we have t-shirts in the shop. Just go to pgttcm.com, check out all of our cool t-shirts and stickers. Heck, we even got some shelf curtains in there. Keep clean, look cool, have cool stickers to put on stuff. Join us on Patreon and get a free sticker. Or don't. It's up to you. You're listening to KZOM, Oleander Public Radio. Hey everybody, it's me, DB Spitzer, here with Farmer Dave. Dave, how the heck are you doing this week? I am doing well. I hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving, unless, well, I hope you had a great Thanksgiving no matter what. Yeah. But if you're maybe listening to this later in July, I hope you had a great 4th of July. And, you know, if you had it listening in August, uh, I hope you had a great time going back to school. And and if you're listening to it um, next week, I hope you're having a good time uh, hanging out, uh, waiting for the bus, or on that plane trip, or on that long car ride. If you're having a long car ride, write us and tell you tell us where you're going on the long car ride and how many episodes before you're like, ugh, not this guy again. Anyway, and uh, if, <laughs> and if you're a super intelligent mutant post nuclear disaster giant cockroach. And you'll discover this in an ancient vault, and you're bringing it forth the first time to find out what human beings were like. I hope you have a great thorax day. Yeah, 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 yeah. And remember, uh, sometimes it is okay to eat your young, despite what your emperor says. Um, and let's put thor- let's put thorax back in thorax day. Exactly, exactly. All right, everyone. So uh, this week. We are talking about, we're going to be talking about Messenger of the Old Ones uh, and the Pool of Shadows as aspects of Narlethotep. And then we're going to be talking about the Upper Plains. But first, we also have an interview. Oh, we also have an interview. Who do we have an interview with? So it's going to be uh, Angela Eureka Smith, Uh who is the editor of Time and Space Magazine. Oh, very cool. Very cool. All right, everyone. Now the theme song. Hey, everyone. We are back. That was the theme song. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Dave, how's everything on the farm? Uh, It is cold. Yeah. It's getting a little chilly, uh, you know, and uh, we're expecting... uh, the return of the snow, uh, you know, that's the type of weather that we get here. We get rain, heat, snow, and uh, highly armed clowns. Those are the type of, and fog, I guess. Yeah, Those yeah. are the type of weather we have here. So, uh, you know, I guess, uh, you know, it's getting closer to uh, winter time. You know what fog brings? Ghost pirates? Ghost pirates. Ghost yeah, pirates, so I'm yeah. glad that the fog Or, or do ghost pirates bring... Fog. I always get those two confused. I think it's fog brings ghost pirates. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, 
which is kind of weird because we are so far from the. I mean, we're not so far from the coast compared to like people who live in the coast. Utah. Yeah, but um, we're 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 we're. I I feel like we're far enough from the coastline that we shouldn't be affected by pirate ghosts. But it, it, it goes how it goes. Yeah, river pirate ghost. Oh, that makes sense. That makes sense. Pirates. River pirate ghost. Okay. Um, hopefully not Cruddy Creek pirate ghosts. That those 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 would be pretty pathetic ghosts. Yeah. Anyway, um, crap. Crap Creek, Crud Creek, I can never remember. I don't Crap go over there. Spelled okay. K-R-A-P-P. Yeah. After Jonas Crap. All right. So, Dave, we're going to be talking about Narlethotep right now. Yes. And we're talking about two avatars, which as near as I can tell, were created originally for the role-playing game. Yep, yep, yep. Which is fine because, as far as I'm concerned, that's as canon as almost anything. Yeah. But that means that there's not a lot of information on them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And if there is, a lot of it's going to be in the scenarios they came from. But, uh, and even if we know them, we don't really want to spoil that. Yeah. But. One of my favorite all-time references I'm having in my hand, you guys can't see it, <laughs> it is the Call of Cthulhu Creature Companion for the fourth edition. And okay. it's got, a, it's got a, a deep one who's looking at a crystal ball and he's looking at the city. And, and it, it has a write-up on the Messenger of the Old uh, Messenger of the Old Ones, which okay. is an avatar of Norlothotep. And for those who are familiar, the kind of I like the art. I love the art in seventh edition. Uh-huh. But they've kind of gone away what they did in the fourth and the other editions is that there was always a paragraph describing the creature from a story. Yeah. Yeah. And most of them were the actual stories that they they came from. But this is kind of this quote. Uh, for the Messengers of the Old One, is out of Joseph Payne Berman's The Willow Platform. Yeah, okay. Uh, and to, The Willow Platform is definitely, I think, sort of a, uh, it's a 1970s uh, outer gods, I mean, I would consider it cosmic horror, where okay. this sort of unemployed guy finds a, a book in Latin and and a ring and he summons this being or this being's at least brain uh -huh. uh, and it's and and i my guess is that cuz that that is the story that inspired them to use it in the call of cthulhu game because you know i i, I check uh you know messages of the old one yeah um i don't believe appears in the story. Um, in fact, I'm just bringing up my PDF real quickly. But one of the, the thing that I like about um, this particular story is, um, so the Willow platform is mm -hmm. that the spell has to be cast on a, um, basically a tower made of willow trees. Okay. And that's where that's where the Willow platform comes from. Gotcha. Um, so, yeah, so the messenger of the old one does not appear in the story itself, uh, but I think uh -huh. it's inspired. And one, so it's basically the creature in that, and the messenger in the Call of Cthulhu, uh, you know, uh, game books. Basically, um, it's this big sort of blob, uh -huh. uh, and it basically is a messenger, I guess you could say. But one of the interesting things, at least in the game, is it has um, an ascetic attack. Okay. Uh, and so it gives you very specific in the game is the... Uh, the damage that its acid do, acid does, um, 
and it's sort of like a blob of flesh. Um, you know, and it's a large. Uh, assuming that they're basing this on the on uh, the uh, the Willow platform, uh, uh-huh. it's the size of about you know six or eight horses, um, and it's like they're all joined together, but it's like this giant amoeba that they're going in different directions. Okay. Huh. And um, yeah, and other than that, um, you know, it basically pulls, it's almost like someone took like six or seven shagoths. Uh-huh. And solder them together because okay. they 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 draw they they've got the same sort of acidic type attack that a shagoth does. It drags people in and sort of swallows them up like this super cosmic amoeba. All right, but other than that, I I don't think other than the actual game scenario that it came in, I don't think there's really anything about you know the old one, messenger of the old one. Okay. I mean, that's that's uh, a lot more than what I had, but hey, <laughs> that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Up next, we have Pool of Shadow. Uh, this is... Uh, a and form- I got nothing on that one. Yeah, it's, it's a form of Narlethochep that was worshipped for over a millennia by druids. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess that they mean, like, Celtic druids. But... Um, he often appears at their rights in this form, but will transform into another if attacked. Um, the Arkham Evil uh, Dapier. Um, I, I don't know if this is from a game. I don't know if this is from a short story. The only real bit I know about this is it's a entry in uh, the uh, Encyclopedia Cthuliana or... Cthulhu Encyclopedia. Um, yes, and I thought that it was, I thought that Arkham Evil was a campaign, but okay. I could be I could be wrong on yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's yeah, so I, I know I know uh, I know almost nothing about this particular creature. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't know how it looks. It, he often appears at their rights in this form, but I don't, and, and will transform into another if attacked. I don't know what its form is that it transforms into, and I don't know what its form is when it is at... Yeah, I, I couldn't find anything on the Arkham Evil. Yeah, so of, Arkham Arkham Evil was a... Uh, a three-scenario uh, book published in 1983 okay. for the Call of Cthulhu game. Uh, it was uh, published, though, I'm assuming licensed because Chaosium is pretty protective of what they have. Yeah. Uh, uh, it was published under uh, Theater of the Mind Enterprises. Oh, 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 I know this one. I know this one. Okay, cool, cool, cool. All right. Yeah, I don't know um, much about the Pool of Shadow, but I do know that this book exists. <laughs> yeah, and, and I do know that one of the three, I don't have a copy. I think it's actually a rather rare book. It is a super rare book, yeah. Um, But probably pretty influential. Mm-hmm. Um, And at least one of them is sort of a, druid based scenario gotcha 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 all right well i think we uh figured out everything we could on uh narlethotep this week uh join us next week when we're going to be talking about some more I oh believe... i'm going to throw something out just between oh, sure. you and me go for it um i did say, think it was rather rare but I just looked it up. You can actually get a copy of Arkham Evil paperback uh, from Amazon for only $25. Oh, that's not too bad considering. No, I'm not considering. Considering, <laughs> especially, 
maybe uh, when it comes in, I think I, I will order it. Uh, but um, it is, um, yeah, it, it's not adventures that maybe your players are as familiar with. Yeah. So, yeah, that might be something that uh, once my copy comes in, maybe we'll talk a little bit more about it. What condition is it in, though? <laughs> Does it have uh, the covers ripped off? <laughs> so it looks like you can get it new new or used at the same price. What? Oh, that's cool. They must got to be a reprint. Reprint, yeah. 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 Oh, that's still, that's cool. I love it when people do a reprint. All right. Okay, cool. Uh, we'll be back in just a moment after these messages. Dave will be doing an interview. And then after those messages, then uh, Dave and I will be talking about the upper planes of Dungeons and Dragons. All right. We'll see you in a bit, everyone. Welcome to Innsmouth, stranger. Hi, I'm Rob Whiten from the Innsmouth Book Club. Join me and my fellow guide, John Chadwick, as we take you on a fortnightly tour of Innsmouth. We visit places such as the Picture House, the Library, and Innsmouth Museum to discuss all aspects of weird fiction, whether it be book, film, music, TV, or art. As well as that, we stop over at the Gilman House to have a chat with a resident guest. That includes authors, artists, musicians, in fact, Lovecraftian creatives of all types. You can find our free shows on Patreon, and there you can also sign up as a patron, which brings you bonus content, plus a monthly PDF copy of Innsmouth News, which features articles, author spotlights, all the latest news and reviews, and more. You can find us at patreon.com forward slash InsmouthBC. We hope to see you soon, because remember, Innsmouth isn't just a place, it's a state of mind. Hey Dave, quick question. Quick answer. What is your favorite chocolate? Uh, you know, so I like white chocolate. Yeah. I also like white chocolate. It has a little bit of salt in it. Oh, yeah. You know, you know, I didn't prompt you on this or anything, but I know that you can get a white chocolate with various things going on it uh, over at Taza Chocolates. Uh, Taza, Taza Chocolates out of Somerset, Massachusetts in Lovecraft country. Uh, it's 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 a real chocolate place. They stone ground their own chocolate that they get fair trade out of South America. And I just want to say, everyone, toss the chocolates. It's a great gift. They've got gift packs. They've got gift certificates. And they've also got chocolate if you don't want to give chocolate and you just want to keep it for yourself. So toss the chocolates. Check the show notes to get a code. Uh, save some money and save yourself. Serve yourself. Uh, Taza Chocolates. Check the show notes. Yes. And even though you can't see us, if you could, you would realize that this is the time that DB is not here. But we have someone else, someone else that you can hear that's not my voice and not DB's. And that is Angela Eureka Smith. Uh, Angela, would you like to maybe introduce yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, A, so much for having me here, David. It's like such a thrill to be here. And um, yeah, I guess a little bit about myself. I publish Face and Time Magazine and run Eureka Publishing, which is soon to be other, another name because I'm taking a partner. And uh, I, I guess I won't say too much about that just, you know, in, until we finish that deal, but there will soon be a grown up doing the business end of things over here at Eureka Publishing. So um, I'm I, assuming that you're not. Uh, I am not that grown up. <laughs> Conway Smith or, or Conway West or uh, Elon Musk. 
No, but you know what? I'm just saying, I wouldn't say no, maybe. I don't know. Send me yeah. the offer. <laughs> but no, and I guess uh, I, I'm a poet and I write a lot of dark things, but my my history is in nonfiction. I worked for newspapers mm. for oh, 20 dear. years, probably 20 plus years. I still tend towards nonfiction. So we have a, a nonfiction essay collection coming out. Um, it's with Lee Murray, uh, Black Spot's Books is publishing it called Unquiet Spirits, mm. and that will be out on Valentine's Day in 2023. Oh, um, nice. Yeah, otherwise, not a lot to say, I guess. Um, I won two Bram Stokers, and we have uh, Elgin for Tortured Willows, uh, second place Elgin. I can't think of anything else. <laughs> so, no, no, that's that's quite a bit. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about, about your publication. It's uh, Time and Space Magazine, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Space and Time Magazine, and it actually was started by Gordon Linsner, who was in high school at the time. That's how, well, I don't want to say how old this is, because that kind of insinuates Gordon is old, but it started in 1966, and he started it on a whim in high school on a mimeograph machine. I don't know if anybody really remembers what one of those is. My fingers remember. Yeah, exactly. Turned them all blue. Yep, exactly. And they had that smell that I'm sure that we all have brain damage from. But so, yeah, that's how the magazine started. Originally, they wanted to do comics. And then they realized how hard it was to do comics on a mimeograph machine. Oh, yeah. So they did a fiction magazine called Space and Time. I have a copy of that original first issue. Um, It's you you almost can't read it because mimeograph machines were not the best for printing, but it it's still pretty cool. They hand drew the illustrations. And oh. then I think it was the next year, Gordon was like, that was pretty fun. Let's do it again. And so they came out with a second one. And then it just kind of progressed from there. And then I think he ran it for about 50 years. And then he was going to close it down. And by then it had like some really big names in it, like Jack Ketchum and Jonathan Mayberry, and there's a a story from, or an interview with Isaac Asimov in it, Mm. and um, Gene Simmons did illustrations when he was 13 for Space and Time, you know, so a lot of really cool history there, and then he was going to close it down at 50 years, and then Hildy uh, took it over from that, Hildy Silverman, and yeah, and then 12 years later, I, I came along, and I saw it was closing, so I took it over from there, and we're keeping it going. It's its own entity. Uh, excellent. 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 And it not only is, I'm sure, you know, the, all the the artistic endeavors, but the history in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's why I didn't want to let it go. Um, I'd actually been self-publishing myself for about 10 years at that point. And I had run a publication and I had, you know, worked as an editorial assistant for a, mag- a newspaper and done magazine work. So I I could do it, but I really just wanted to write. And then I was, I realized by self-publishing myself, I was getting in like a bubble where Mm. only the people, only the same people were always reading me and I needed to branch out and get new people reading me. So I decided to submit to magazines. Uh, Christina Singh was a friend of mine. So I was kind of like, where does, where is Christina Singh just published? I'll just go there and see if I can't get published. It was a magazine called Space and Time. And I went over all excited. Oh, I'm going to submit to my first, you know, my first fiction piece. And uh, I read the thing about they were closing. And at the bottom of that, Hildy had a message about if anybody who knows how to publish could possibly take this over, we really don't want to see it die, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. And I was like, nope, not me. <laughs> and then I, it just kept picking like, oh, you know, how do I just let that go? Like, I could do it. You know, and now I've fallen completely in love with it. So, yeah, space and time isn't going anywhere. You know, I mean, oh, on to somebody else, because eventually I suppose I will die or something. But the magazine will live on. Excellent. Now, now, uh, space and time, it covers fantasy, horror and science fiction. Mm-hmm. How, how do you blend those into one magazine? Well, I mean, a lot of people are... This is where we're, I'm going to get on a little bit of a soapbox. I believe that we should have a genre called speculative that encompasses all of those. Because to me, they're all very similar. Like if you look at, say, Game of Thrones, mm-hmm. that's what, there's a lot of horror in Game of Thrones. 
and or alien is alien a horror or a science fiction so oh, I feel I've, like I've, I've, I've written entire articles on that thank you thank you so that's why I think they nest up so well together. Um, and even, you know, fantasy science fiction can go together, though it usually is horror that's the easiest pairing with either of those. Um, so those are our favorite stories is when we can get something with elements of all three. Like I can think of particularly, and I can't remember the author, I, I wanna say Ken Hewler, but I may have the author wrong, but it was a really, really interesting and adorable and also terrifying story about, um, I think it was like a pan or, or you know, a fantasy creature mm -hmm. and in a science fiction setting, kind of like the apocalypse, um, but, or maybe it was, it was a girl that could see fairies, but in the apocalypse science fiction kind of thing. And I mean, it's been years since I've read this, so it's, it's fuzzy in my, in my head. And there's been so many stories since then, but I just remember, and it was horror because, you know, bad things happen at the end and there's some very creepy things going on. Those are my ultimate favorite stories is when somebody can balance all three. That wasn't published originally in Omni magazine, was it? No, no, it oh. was original to us. And I oh, okay. wish I, yeah, I wish I had the issue in front of me because I'd tell you exactly what it was called and everything. But I will, I'll see if I can find that and I will email it to you because it's a very I, good story. I would, I remember reading in, in high school uh, a story about a, an orphanage where the kids were seeing like fairies or angels and then the nuclear war happened. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that, that I so yeah, it looks like it's been blending for quite a bit of for quite it a has. while. Yes. Well, and there's so many like like say bringing up fairies, there's so many stories um where fairies are horrific. It's not just a or mermaids, you know, turn out to be carnivorous beasts, you yeah. know. So it really we're all bedfellows, you know, horror science fiction and fantasy. And uh, yeah, I think it's just easier to call us speculative. Okay, okay. What are maybe some of your uh, favorite genre stories? Oh, any probably anything by Neil Gaiman. I mean, I absolutely love Neil Gaiman. I discovered him back when Sandman was being published as okay. the, the graphic novels. Um, but just all of his, like, of course, American Gods, um, Good Omens, everybody knows that one, Coraline, Stardust, uh, Neverwhere, pretty much anything he writes. Uh, but it was the, do you remember those old Alfred Hitchcock um, anthologies that he used to do? So I don't remember, I, I remember my grandfather having some and me mm -hmm. reading them. I, did, I didn't realize he had written in any. Yeah, I don't think he wrote in them, but he collected them. He was like the editor oh, of them. Oh, okay. Yeah, but those those were my introduction into genre of fiction. It was actually, I was in Catholic school, I think in second grade, and I came across this book called, and this is also why I'm always like, this is how important fiction is, I think, to people. It's not just entertainment, but it really matters, you know, to a lot of us. I was in the Catholic school, and I was a very geeky, lonely, the reject child, that was me. I was definitely the reject child. And I found in the library there at the Catholic school, this book called Alfred Hitchcock's Monster Museum. And it was just a bunch of horror stories by different authors. And some of it, it was like Ray Bradbury was in it. And I can't remember who else, but just a, a ton of names like that that had submitted a story to him or given a story. But there was one called Shadow, Shadow on the Wall um, by Theodore Sturgeon. And that was... Uh, just a, a story about a kid who doesn't get along with his mom and, you know, he has shadow creatures that are his friends and they wind up taking care of things in the end. And I don't mm -hmm. want to give any spoilers, yeah. but as a child, I identified with that story so much about like the dark things that I was so interested in um, were actually empowering me. Whereas like everybody was kind of around me telling me like basically what's wrong with you, kid, you know? Why do you keep talking about ghosts, kid? You're really weird. Why do you keep talking about dead babies? You know, what's wrong with you? But here was this story that that was the thing that saved this kid. And so that story, I couldn't, of course, you know, I read it. I read that book so many times the nuns took it away from me. And like, yeah, they, I came back because I would check it out on like repeat, like go renew, go renew, go renew. And so one day they told me they had to, I had to check it in so that they could recatalog it or something. 
And then I came back and it was gone. gone. And those nuns lied to me because then they said, then they told me the truth of, well, we thought you were reading it too much and we want you to read other things. I admit I still have rage <laughs> from yeah. that moment, but that story stuck with me so much that years later I started collecting the Alfred Hitchcock anthologies so that I could find that story. And then when I did, it was just like, yes, you know, there's that story that kind of has guided me my whole life and, and taught like, me like that hard home. things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that's always where I'm like, we when we write stories, we think that they don't matter. I'm sure Theodore Sturgeon probably thought, whatever, I got paid 25 bucks, cool, or whatever. You know, I don't know what the backstory is there. But to me, that was my saving grace, that story. So that's what I always think going forward, forward when we're writing. We don't know who we're affecting, but that matters to somebody. And sorry, I went way off topic there, but yeah, no, that's my... no, no, I, I really appreciate that. No, <laughs> I, no, I, I think that's a, a great experience. I'm glad you share, shared it with all of us. Now, we also, um, we were recently on a, uh, a panel together at the HP Lovecraft Film Festival. Uh, That's right. We were on the panel about um, are video games getting weirder? So what are some of your feelings about that? I think that video games have always been pretty weird. That was such a fun panel, by the way, to be on you with. Both of you, that was such a fun panel. Um, but I think video games have always been pretty weird. They're definitely getting weirder. But I think that's because we, like people, are so connected now that we're realizing more and more that we're all weird. And it's okay. Where before you kind of, we were all stuck, you know, before there was like, say, social media or technology. and We didn't know what was happening, you know, across the state or across the world. Now we do. And so that connectivity, even though it can be like, you know, there's toxic connectivity yeah. i think for the most part it's just telling us like i'm a weirdo but there's weirdos out there in the world that are the same flavor of weird as me and it's okay because there's a lot everybody's kind of weird and i think that's reflecting in our games where before it was like you know don't don't like a zombie game because that obviously shows you're way too dark or weird or whatever you know you're a geek or all of those things and now we're able to do that and uh and it also does help that the geeks, you know, have turned out to be all the rich ones growing up. <laughs> so. the, 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 that's true. That that maybe not personally, but yeah. in general, yeah, geeks may have a little bit more disposable cash. Than the yeah, other. yeah. So, some of us geeks. So yeah. I think that's why that's affecting the the game world as we, we we're capable of imagining so much more now. And we're capable of admitting that we imagine so much more now that they are. It's reflecting in the games. Yeah. So so I am basically not a computer geek. I tell everyone I'm a book nerd. You know what the difference is? Mm -mm. 20,000 a year. <laughs> yes, that's, that's very true. <laughs> now, I have really... Uh, enjoyed talking to you but I, I i've got a question we always want to ask everybody mm -hmm. on the show if you could be in charge of any creative project you don't have to worry about uh money you don't have to worry about copyright any type of medium what is your dream creative project it would probably be going and finding those old alfred hitchcock stories and bringing them to life maybe even for film like refreshing them for a new audience. Um, yeah, and if money was no 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 option, then I would be throwing some Neil Gaiman stories in there, because why not? Like a mix of newer authors and these classics. That would be my dream project. And new, fresh takes on these anthologies, and then transmitting them to film as well. Yeah, so, so and this is a little bit off, but something. Mm -hmm. I grew up in the greater LA area, in the 70s, 80s. And this was before the big, you know, uh, cable television. And so LA had an abundance of TV stations. We had like nine stations. And so they would compete. They wouldn't, a lot of the independent stations would have to find things. And so a lot of them would do Twilight Zone and Alfred Hitchcock Presents. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you're thinking about that and, and I know, again, that they did like a, 
uh, an Alfred Hitchcock presents in the eighties when I was in high school. But I was thinking about, you know, how great it would be to take those original stories and, and do it as a, some sort of Alfred Hitchcock presents again. Uh, yeah. And that's exactly kind of, cause I loved those. I didn't get to watch a lot of TV as a kid, but when I did see those, absolutely loved them. That was, I mean, it, it's speculative, you know? So I guess mm-hmm. that was always what attracted me. Um, but yeah, that would be fantastic. And now I get that they're for us outdated, you know, we're just so used to like better special effects and all that. Um, so I would love to update them, but keep that original solid core, which I guess is kind of what we've tried to do with the magazine too. We don't want to yeah. erase the history, but just update it a little bit for uh, kind of the newer readers and the newer viewers that are out there. Based on what's gone before you, but keep it current. Exactly, exactly. Because what's what is in the past, like what Alfred Hitchcock did. And I mean, we could even go back to like Poe and, you know, all the greats that came yeah. before us. Never do I think we should be trying to be like to eclipse them or to yeah. discount them because they are why we're here. But we have and to keep building those walls. Yeah, exactly. But it, it doesn't hurt us to go forward and claim new territory and build higher. Absolutely. Now, it's just been a real pleasure to talk with. Absolutely. If uh, if our listeners are interested in uh, Space and Time magazine or anything else that you're presenting, how could they get a hold of it? Well, it's easy enough. It's actually on Amazon now. Um, but if they go to spaceandtime.net, that's where we are there. And then you can always find me at angelawysmith.com. And I just don't do the middle name because that's really difficult to spell. (laughs) Okay. Well, thank you very much. And looking forward to have you on the show again. Absolutely. Anytime. It was a pleasure to meet both of you and to be on that panel with you. You guys are both like super cool and interesting people. Well, until you get to know us. (laughs) Well, I mean, then we get back into that flavor of weird conversations. So I think we're okay. Thank you once again for listening to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. You can help show your support by going to the show notes and following any of the links that'll tell you how to support the show, how to support our guests, and thank you to all of our guests who you can find in the show notes. Rate, review, subscribe, and remember, patrons get priority access to asking us questions, suggesting topics, even, I don't know... Uh, submitting stuff. Actually, you don't have to be a patron to submit anything. That's how Dave got on the show, and that's how you can get on the show, too. It's the People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. Rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends. Thank you for listening. Back to the show. Hey, Dave. Yes. So this week we're talking about some D&D on D&D, and we're talking about the Upper Plains. So anything you want to say before we get going on the Upper Plains? Uh, well, I don't think they come into play a lot. I mean, unless you've really got a plane-hopping campaign, which would be fun. Yeah. You know, almost things take place in the, the material plane, or if a player is going to go somewhere, it's going to be a lower plane, like the hells. <laughs> uh, but my understanding, so I may not be that much of an expert on the upper or the celestial planes, but sure. they're kind of like heavens. Yeah, 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 yeah. Definitely, definitely true. Um, standard D&D cosmology, the upper planes are from... Uh, Lawful good to uh, lawful chaotic. They go like. You mean lawful neutral? Uh, no, no. Uh, from uh, lawful neutral to, uh, or no, no, no. From lawful good to chaotic good. Oh, okay. That's what I mean to say. Yes. Sorry about that, everyone. Um, from lawful, from lawful good to. Oh, man. Chaotic good. All right. So, we got... Yeah. 
Oh, do you want me to go or do you want to redo oh, that? Go for it. Go for it. So it used to be the, the classic alignment tic-tac-toe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you know, the good's on top, the neutrals, and then the evil's on the bottom, you know. Yeah, and, yeah. And so I'm trying hard to remember back to my young whippersnapper days. Okay. But as I remember, the top three had their own planes, their own heavens. Yep. And that one of them, though, what really struck me is because they used what we would now, I mean, I think it was at the time, actually, an act of respect. Mm-hmm. But at the time, we would have called it, I mean, now we would have called it, you know, uh, cultural appreciation. Uh-huh. Or, I mean, a culture, uh, upper, you know, when you take other people's cultures. But um, one of them was the Happy Hunting Grounds. Yeah, which has now been changed since, like, at least second edition has been the Beastlands. Yes. And, and I want to say that that was sort of spelled out in the deities and demigods. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, definitely, definitely. Um, it changed up quite a bit, though, between first and second edition, like late late second edition, like 2.5. Uh, yeah, no, they, they changed a bunch of stuff so that it wasn't like uh, cultural appropriation so much. That's the word I was trying to get. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, and oh, there's a phone going off somewhere telling me to do something. But uh, yeah, no, no, no. They 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 streamlined it a bit. They made it so that it wasn't. Uh, and also, they took out like for they quit mentioning things by their cultural names. That includes like uh, Christian or uh, Judeo Christian. Uh, I think it had the seven heavens. Yeah, you have the seven heavens, but now it's Mount Celestia. Utopia became Bytopia. Elysium stayed Elysium. Uh, the Beastlands were the hunt, happy hunting grounds. Arborea stayed Arborea. Yasgard stayed Yasgard. Limbo stayed Limbo. Pandemonium stayed Pandemonium. Abyss stayed the Abyss. Carceri stayed Carceri. Hades stayed Hades. Gehenna stayed Gehenna. Uh, Beator um, replaced the Nine Hells. Okay. And Acheron stayed Acheron. And, okay, so Nirvana changed its name to Mechanus. Okay. And I think that may have more to do with a band. Yeah. <laughs> In the 90s, when when a lot of these changes started. Uh, but, yeah, no, Nirvana changed its name to Mechanus to... Uh, uh, more, more, uh, kind of to relate to its uh, mechanical nature, and really went heavy on its mechanical nature, and then you know Arcadia is Arcadia, and then we're back to Mount Celestia. I went kind of starting with uh, Mount Celestia. I went uh, clockwise around the outer plains, and in the center you have the Outlands, and above the Outlands you have. Uh, above a spire in the Outlands, not on a spire, and you can't actually use the spire to get into the city, but the city of Sigil, or Sigil, however you want to pronounce it, is a donut-shaped city on top of a spire, yeah. Yes, and I think that, you know, Celestial cartography uh-huh. is lesser thing in modern religions, yeah. But we definitely see this in uh, Kabbalistic traditions, mm-hmm. uh, North mythology, yeah. where the heavens and the realms are mapped out. We we even see that in in the Thor movies. Sure. So there's yeah. definitely a a history of that that the the D designers drew on yeah so we're going to start talking about mount celestia and its basic points it's also known as the seven heavens it is a lawful good place of rest uh countless paladins and saints have ascended there and it's known for its what we would call uh angels it has 
uh, Osbons, uh, which are, 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 are large winged people. Uh, then we have Acherons, which are large winged creatures. And uh, Divas, which are not large winged creatures, but oh man. Um, Famous musician. <laughs> no. So uh, opposite. So divas are basically the Indian being, you know, the subcontinent equivalent to angels. Uh, enough that they're even on occasion drawn with wings. And I remember again, this is my uh, collective memory that when divas were first introduced as a character in a, a dragon magazine again when i was t late teens early 20s uh as they've sort of become a, a celeste or sort of a stand in in many ways to angels uh especially i think they were kind of introduced during the uh the satanic panic period mm -hmm, mm -hmm. where it did not sort of imply where you could have angel-like or demon or devil-like creatures and not actually be the Judeo-Christian angels. And then, again, if you had angels like in the Bible, those are some pretty scary creatures. Yeah, 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 yeah. Biblically accurate uh, angels, I believe, is the meme that's been going on for a couple of years there. But yeah, yeah. Um, after Mount Celestia, we have Bytopia. Oh, something I wanted to mention about uh, Mount Celestia, uh, just landing in the water that uh, makes up the first layer, uh, the water is blessed. It's it's holy water. So if for some reason your character isn't fit for communion, you're you're going to get burnt a bit. So it's it's just kind of like a low level uh, like acid for like neutral characters and but like the more and more evil you are, the more and more it hurts. Up next, we have Bytopia, also known as the Twin Paradises. It is kind of a lawful good, neutral good, aligned plane of existence that um, it's kind of weird how it's set up. Uh, if you look up, you will see uh, green pastures, and if you look down, if you're on one layer, you'll see slightly more developed lands with like towns and, but also pastures and mountains that touch almost and do touch in parts on both layers. It's, it's, uh, they both have underground parts, but it's, it's like kind of like they extend in all directions. And, um, yeah, it's spatially infinite, but it has like two subplanes that face each other, and uh, it's 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 a place of uh, gnomes, I want to say, and but yeah, <laughs> gnomes it, and halflings, I believe, but I could be wrong. Okay, um, and you definitely probably know much more about that than I do. But one thing I kind of just want to sort of maybe um, throw in there is that this is sort of consistent with a lot of, um, oh, um, oh, yeah, pre-Christian. Yeah, oh. gnomes and gnomes? other industrial folk, and it is the home of Carl Glittergold and other yes. gnome gods, so. Yes, um. And what I was going to say is that the sort of pre-Christian idea of what heaven is like or the reward place, it's going to be like it is here on Earth, but bad things don't happen. Yeah. You know, the, you know your, 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 um, your food doesn't get overcooked, you know, you, you can't die. And so this is, a, I think, a very sort of kind of get that feel from this, too. Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, Elysium, the next place, uh, also known as the Blessed Fields, it's neutral good. And it is a plane of peace and unadulterated goodness. And it is a place where nothing bad happens. Your food doesn't rot. 
your your crops always come up. Uh, your, your your pets don't get sick. Uh, your your livestock never gets ill, never gets old. Matt, and, a Matt Damon substitute for necromancer or uh, neuromancer? Oh, yeah. sorry, that was Elysium the movie. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there's uh, guardians, which are uh, noble, immortal humanoids with bestial features, and Paylor, the sun deity, uh, rules over uh, is well, not rules over, rules over uh, their own realm in uh, Elysium. But yeah, no, it's this place of just kind of like, yeah, things are good, man. Things are good. And this, is, of course, is taken from a uh, concept in Greek mythology. Yep, yep. The Elysium Fields. Uh, it, I've even heard it called the Elysium Plain. Sure. Uh, where this is, again, not being an expert on this, but it's sort of the the, the fortunate isles, you know, the good, yeah. the, the good afterlife. Definitely, definitely. After that, we have the Beastlands, which is uh, neutral good, chaotic good. It's a place of idyllic nature. It's got the most stunning mountains. Its, its forests are the most foresty. Its goats are the biggest goats you've ever seen, the most like... The most goaty. Yeah, the goatiest goats that ever goated a goat. Uh, they've got buffaloes. Uh, I mean, I mean it's, it's, it's like all the animals that you would think of being in nature and all of kind of like the biomes, but it's like the idyllic kind of like most like um, the rivers are huge and the mountains are great and the plains are expansive and the savannas are like what you, you, you know, it, it's, it's, it's just like um, kind of like national parks and national geographic videos on steroids it's it's just kind of like grandness and it's uh and it you know as we kind of mentioned it's it's definitely based on the native american concept of the the happy hunting ground yeah yeah but what it kind of reminds me of is the ancestral plane in mcu okay okay and like it also has like animal lords and these animals are kind of like super smart big giant versions like um big giant bestial versions of that animal like a goat like even even a uh nubian goat would be a big massive muscly creature that had horns that were like exaggerations of a nubian goat's horns and like everything that you think of as goats it would be the goatiest goat ever or like uh, a, a house cat or like a semi-domesticated cat, a, a, a feline, uh, would, would, would be like massive. It would also have claws. It would, it would be more of what we think of as like a mountain lion or something like that than a cat. And mountain lions are huge. I mean, it's, it's, it's just, it's kind of like that. And uh, Which would be a great place for a druid character. Yeah, yeah, and um, the goddess of forests, uh, Elona, is is like she has a realm there. So that's pretty cool, if you ask me. But yeah, I need to get a drink of water or coffee. And finally, we have Arborea, which Arborea is uh, kind of like a chaotic, good, aligned place of existence that has a lot of um, elven and uh, Greek gods, Olympus kind of things going on for it, which... um, uh, Sorry, I'm just trying to find my space. Um, a lot of Greek gods and that kind of stuff going on for it. So, so Mount Olympus, yeah. in game terms, is in uh, Aboria. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Olympic glades, uh, Arvandor, the uh, heaven for angel, uh, <laughs> heaven for elves. Uh, it's a fey realm of passion. 
abundance and uh, nature's caprice. I totally botched that word. Um, yeah, it's uh, Elodrin and the Court of Stars, Titans, and the gods of Greek mythology, and uh, the Elven Pantheon, uh, or the Upper Elven Pantheon. Um, but yeah, and yeah. And traditionally, this is where D and D Titans, which are more than more than giants, but less than gods, dwell in this plane, yeah. as well as a lot of other surprisingly, maybe not good. Greek creatures like Medusas and um, uh, Gorgons. Yeah, yeah. But this is also a place of like champions and heroes. So champions and heroes do need, um, and, and also I believe there's entrances into like the lower realms and they mm -hmm. kind of like snake through the, uh, blah, 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 uh, snake through the, uh, the, the the middle realms the uh, uh, realms of conflict whatever you want to call them but yeah the Midgard. No. yeah and um, mm. so you have these caves that snake down from uh, the upper plains to the lower plains and you know there's there's access between the two for like bad things to get through um, and and I, I think it's, you know, just so that because uh, the next realm is, uh, I believe, is is, is uh, Yasgard, where there's just like fighting and punching and drinking and Arborea is much like that, but with less battling. It's it's a it's it's a fey realm of passion and abundance. And uh, you, you have to have battles. And you have to have like, you know, it's 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 the place where the Greek gods live. And we all know that the Greek gods like to do all kinds of crazy stuff. And this is their realm. So I, I don't know. Uh, I, I believe that there's also some sort of like, you know, when they're not messing with humans or they're not messing with elves, they've got their own place going on. And it's kind of like it wouldn't be like a medusa it would be the medusa, the medusa. yeah so yeah 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 it it it, it is a, a place that has an opposing side and a neutral side to it that all kind of link up and that's what i think is arborea is one of my favorite places to have like to to have uh stuff go down um like a chaotic good world if you think about it this way, it's like they're going to be okay with good creatures or uh, good good PCs. They're going to make fun of you maybe if you're like lawful good, but they're fine with neutral good. They're fine with neutral neutral. They're they're going to be fine with like uh, you know cha maybe chaotic neutral. They'll be okay with and tolerate chaotic evil because it means that they get to battle later. But yeah, no, no, it, it feels like the kind of place where you can take an adventuring party and everyone's not going to get like murderified right away unless maybe they're like all lawful, uh, lawful evil or something. But. <laughs> and what this kind of reminds me, too, is uh, Lovecraft's Dreamlands. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, very much so, very much so. Um, and I think that's a result of Lovecraft's Dreamlands being based off of uh, aspects of Greek stories and uh, Lord uh, Dunsany. Dunsany's Pangaea, yes, which yeah, was definitely which, based on Greek stories. Yeah, yeah. So you have this. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And it could even be used as your stand-in for... Um, the the uh, 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 not Outlands uh, the Dreamlands the Dreamlands yeah yeah it could be your stand-in for the Dreamlands there's just so much stuff if if there's a place that you're going to be able to like ride a zebra and fight necromancers and also be able to talk to cats Elysium seems like it it would be a place where that could happen just easily <laughs> definitely. 
Yeah. Uh, maybe our, 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 our uh, yeah, Arborea. Not, uh, I, I was thinking Arborea is a place where that kind of stuff could happen. Um, Elysium, Arboreum, I feel both are very kind of like dreamlands like. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, and that's it. Uh, any, anything you wanted to say? No, about I think we covered it Arborea? pretty well. Okay, cool, cool, cool. But yeah, no, um, elves live there too. So, um, yeah, no, I, I, I think this uh, episode we covered some pretty cool stuff, especially in the outer planes. And I think there's probably some ways you could, I don't know, have like a pool of shadows in your uh, Elysium or your Aborea uh, or, or, or in your Beastlands. And it's just like, what is this unnatural pool of shadows? But anyway, um, thanks everyone who is a patron on the show. Special shout out to the folks at Innsmouth Book Club. Um, check out the show notes to find what's coming up next, uh, who the sponsors are and how to find out more about our guests that were on the show this week. Uh, recorded by David Heat and edited by D.B. Spitzer. You can find out more about this show on pgttcm.com and also check out our back catalog and everything else if you want to get in contact. Thank you again. Uh, music by D.B. Spitzer. Contact us at pgttcm.com and pgttcm at gmail.com thank you and have a good one Dave anything you want to say before we head out no just everybody have a a great week and we'll see you next week alright goodbye everyone say goodbye Dave goodbye